What's up, fitties? It's Matty Boy Whitmore here with the stunning, stunning Keris Marsden. Wagwan Keris. That's a nice intro. It's always a nice intro. Always. Guys, Fit of Food Radio, episode number 76, and we are currently sweating buckets right now in London. The sun is shining bright, and our flat is like a greenhouse. So, so it's the, that was the hottest day. So it's the 14th of September, and it was the hottest day yesterday on record this summer which i don't think was true but it was hot it feels like it i think we've had hotter this summer yeah well it's hot and i'm not complaining i'm not complaining the sun's shining bright there's not a cloud in the sky but i am quite keen to get out there so (laughs) (laughs) it's going to be a turbo podcast guys you do complain at intervals oh my god it's so hot i do have little (laughs) yeah it kind of adds to stress a little bit doesn't it because you're doing stuff and you're sweating and then you can feel like just feel like anxiety kind of building we and just, normal tasks are being just, really we're difficult. We're just not used to it here. <laughs> you know, it's just such a shock to the system. There's no air con for a start. Um, and also, it's, it's, it's September after all. Yeah. And normally by September, India, you know, you start thinking, oh, it's going to be start, start being hoodie weather soon. Yeah. But it ain't kicked in yet. But as I say, the longer the sun's shining, the longer I can wear my vests, which I quite like. Everyone should be out actually now making the most of this doing a walk to work or getting out in their lunch hour topping up vitamin d for the for the winter a few people have asked me about supplementing you know kind of as winter comes and i've said well basically you know if we're kind of still out in it now you mm. you would lessen your need to supplement you know for the next couple of months we store it so some get people better there. than others but get yeah. out there peeps lack get, it up get exposed so keris keris been on another course uh-huh. haven't you yep getting her learn on getting her geek on I, did, I actually got to meet, I can't even say his name very well, Dr. Chatterjee at this course. I was You're very sure that's excited how you say his that. name? I think so. I'm going to call him Dr. C, just in case. Why don't we call him Dr. Chat? <laughs> Dr. Chat. And I did invite him on the podcast and he said uh, yes, and hopefully, uh, he is really busy, but hopefully if he's got time. He is the guy from BBC's Doctor in the House, who yeah. I didn't actually see the programme when it first went out. I've had a, a kind of catch up online. But my dad kept ringing me nearly every time it was on and going, he's Gosh. talking. <laughs> yeah. He's saying what you said. <laughs> That's it, basically. Yeah. <laughs> he says, it's the gut. It's yeah. the gut, Keris. <laughs> yeah, that was it. I hope your dad don't listen to this. He'd be like, I don't sound like that. It's a very good, it is a very good impression <laughs> of him, actually. But he just tends to shout louder <laughs> than yeah. that at the moment. Yeah, because it was all talking about, uh, I think it was about blood sugar levels and things like sleep on it, which is very unusual. You don't see many kind of um, fitness and nutrition programs on TV mm. at the moment going, oh, and you should be getting to bed earlier as yeah. well. Pretty important sleep, isn't it? Absolutely. So, it's hard. Um, but what Dr. C did was he got a guy over from the States who I've actually seen before and we've podcasted about this before. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Professor Dale uh, Bredesen and he is kind of the Alzheimer's guy. Now, don't turn off the podcast now if you're not interested in Alzheimer's because the stuff he covered, it kind of just applies to every single, I would say, like chronic disease that exists. And in terms of how you should make sure your lifestyle is preventative, Mm -hmm. it's almost the same for Alzheimer's as it is for cancer, as it is for heart disease, obesity, diabetes. It's all the same messages coming through. And the guy is incredible and is kind of, he's been chatting with Obama 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 about this and uh, even Obama's kind of goals with Alzheimer's was like oh can we just try and make make a drug 25% more effective there is no cure at the moment for Alzheimer's and he almost had to walk away from those conversations and start his own trials by just seeking money through philanthropists can't say that word (laughs) philanthropists got his own funding basically and started his own studies and I I admire his work because he's 30 years kind of into this now I'm really passionate about it and that's why Dr. C got him over and kind of said like I was was him that got him over yeah because Dr. C is helping with the trials in the UK which are about kind of reversing and uh, reversing cognitive decline so this is kind of like the phase before Alzheimer's but the things that they mentioned are so relevant to everybody, and this goes to things like low hormone levels, low testosterone, like we'll get really into it, but kind of not balancing your blood sugar levels, not fasting enough, not getting eight hours sleep, gene types, which mm. was so amazing for me because I was so confused about genes and, and nutrition. Yeah. Um, I've done 23andMe and we've talked about it before, and I asked some key questions and I got some great answers back. So but I think I'm it's very like, excited. About I, I mean, what, well, 
what excites me about all this really is um let's be honest you were a bit bored <laughs> I came back and just rabbited on at you for about two days about it. No, it was just it was because it was like a bit of a, just a bit of an onslaught of information. <laughs> like you, you need to break things down a bit for me. Do it in stages, you know. It was like, you know, Saturday night. Oh, hello, darling. How was your day? How was your day? Did you know? <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to invite me out anymore, are they? Because I just can't help myself. Well, I am, I am. If it's really curious, is here. Get your notebooks out. No, it's more like it's more like leave. God. Um, um, what I was going to say was, is like you know, you mentioned this earlier. You know, like you know, there was a, a big chunk of that day. You know, spoke about Alzheimer's, etc. But I think you hit the nail on the head when, and we've spoken about this before that. It's not as if like a spe- there's a specific diet per se or a specific lifestyle to follow for each uh, common disease that's out there. It's not like, oh, if you've got Alzheimer's, you should eat this and not eat that. Oh, if you've got cancer, eat this, eat that. You know, it's generally across the board. If you're looking at preventative, preventative measures with your yeah. nutrition, your lifestyle, such as stress and sleep, etc., then it's only going to set you up well. Absolutely, and that's that was the incredible thing for me was um, in book two we did a list of ten things, um, you know, and I kind of run them by you, and obviously like Dr. Tommy Wood and said, do you think these ten things, like ten principles, you actually had the idea, you went, can we summarise the book because I waffle a lot, ten things people need to do, and what was really nice is half of them were mentioned, you know, in this mm. talk for Alzheimer's prevention, but what you're preventing is not just Alzheimer's, it's that you're stopping your body from breaking down, so you are stopping. Um, it's, it's anti-inflammatory it's kind of keeping your hormones optimizing in check so you know you've got good um, insulin sensitivity good testosterone levels good estrogen progesterone balance in women so we feel good we're in a good mood and you know it's not just about obviously this was kind of looking at cognitive function and memory but you know kind of prior to that there are other goals that people have out there that that all of this is addressing and alzheimer's heart disease cancer is kind of like the end stages of your body just you didn't give it the raw materials it needed to function. So it started yeah. to break down and it started to find other means to survive. A really interesting point that they mentioned was with Alzheimer's patients, so there's no cure for it, you die from, from Alzheimer's, and the drugs are working on preventing the progression of it, which arguably some people were saying at the conference is actually quite cruel because it is a really, you know, it's an awful disease and, and it runs in my family, so I've seen it firsthand. Yeah. And I suppose the longer that somebody kind of, when you're slowing down their progress towards, you know, ultimately passing away, it, the, the longer those years are, the more the more harmful it can be for the family and those around. But that's the thing, it's, it's, it, yeah. not, it's not just the person no, who's suffering, no, it's, is it's it? it's the family think, around. I think this is like, you know, something we talk about a hell of a lot, don't we, when it comes, because with what we do and the kind of clients we work with, you know, it's what's quite amazing now is as well as working with people one to one for them and their kind of health goals, fat loss goals, whatever it may be, the amount of people that we now speak to who are actually having consultations with us for other people. Yeah, for parents. You know, for their parents, their grandparents, their aunties or whatever, because, yeah. you know, that people are starting to open their eyes, I think, to you know, like that. That it's not just that person that suffers. You know, it's it's the it's the partner, it's the children, it's the yeah, it's yeah. the when siblings. When someone's unwell, it kind of has a yeah. knock-on effect. And the thing is, it affects. It does affect things like your mood, and that affects your emotion. That affects your, you know, and people are walking around with a kind of banner of, oh, you know, I've got depression runs in the family, mood disorders. There are so many physiological causes of depression. And there are things like, you know, maybe you don't like your job and things like that that cause you stress, but there are so many physiological things you can do to treat depression that no doctor will ever mention to you. And this is where, you know, I love functional medicine for that reason. And, and, you know, we'll get into it. And I can't remember the point I was going to make about just before that. I'll come back to it in a second. I'm sure it will, will come back to me. But if you have any goal, as I've mentioned, so if that's kind of, oh, want to get stronger, want to lose weight, it's kind of more typical goals that people come to fit a food with. Uh, but ultimately, what we're kind of doing is is helping you to, to fix your body and basically to stop you ending up with a kind of more serious chronic disease. And that the amazing thing that's been established with Alzheimer's is very similar to heart disease. So when I talked about heart disease, when the body starts laying down plaque in the arteries, it's actually more of a kind of defense mechanism. It's maybe part of the immune system trying to protect you yeah. because we've got inflammation occurring 
um, you know, kind of basically in, in the vascular in the vascular structures of the body. So your body starts laying down plaque to protect you. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing is happening with Alzheimer's, but it's obviously it's in the brain. So we have something going on and the body is producing something uh, basically called beta amyloid plaques in the brain. So when Alzheimer's was first looked at, everyone started saying, oh, it's because these plaques keep growing in the brain. So if we can stop the plaques from growing, then we can stop the progression of the disease. And that's kind of where the drug mechanisms are working. Yeah. But, but where would you think we need to work, really? Where would be a more sensible kind of upstream position to, to address this whole situation? Nutrition. No, no. Like, what would you think you'd want to do before stopping the plaques from progressing? You're asking the wrong person, love. <laughs> Is why 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 yeah why yeah why are the plaques occurring in the first place? You just kind of threw me with you upstream. I'm not, I'm I was never. a bit like upstream. <laughs> Sorry. So this is where this guy, Professor Dale uh, uh, Breslison, has, has gone in and gone. I want to know why, and like because if I know why the plaques are occurring, then I can start to look at stemming the the basically we call them triggers and drivers in functional medicine. We can and and actually he's identified about five different types of Alzheimer's patients. So it's not just one, and, and the, the incredible thing is the mechanism that's going on in the brain looks very similar to mechanisms with, with heart disease and even cancer and osteoporosis. It's kind of the body's natural balance, and we call it like maintenance of, of different functions. Um, you've heard of the word homeostasis, which yeah. is kind of that balance of... I've heard of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it works for things like pH... Um, and the body's always kind of saying, we don't want too much of this, not too much of that. We want to be able to produce cells, not too many. If we have too many cells being produced, that's, that's cancer. Uh, we want to be able to kind of break down bone and then create um, um, cell, uh, you know, like build bone as well. And that's kind of how we, we don't have things like osteoporosis happening. And if that little seesaw tips in one direction, so maybe we start breaking down too much bone, maybe because the body's wanting some minerals or something. Yeah then we get disease. So that is how disease is happening. It's, it's these imbalances are occurring in the body. And again, the same thing is happening in the brain. And this is the point I was going to mention, I forgot, is how incredible is it that with Alzheimer's, they never lose kind of um, the ability to, say, eat food. So they don't lose that physical memory, uh, not physical, sorry, the physical ability to eat in terms of the memories of, you know, how to use a knife and fork and take food to the mouth. Yeah. The patients never lose that. And what they're kind of showing is it's the, the brain is almost kind of different parts of it are kind of shutting down in response to various different problems like inflammation is one of them or, yeah. or some other things missing, some ingredients are missing. And it starts to think about basic fundamental tasks it needs to be able to do kind of to survive and then chuck out anything that's not essential like new memories, for example, which is why Alzheimer's patients can often tell you everything about childhood and school, but they can't remember maybe where they live or the way to the post office or something. So new memories get chucked out first. Yeah. So we know this is kind of like the body trying to survive in an environment where you are forcing it to, to do that, you know, like as, as, and then you're depriving it of the, the ability to, to kind of function naturally as it wants to. Just going back to like some things that they're doing, um, do you remember we mentioned with the cancer podcast how you have a PET scan? which is where they kind of inject you with a radioactive substance yeah. to kind of identify what is healthy tissue, what isn't healthy tissue. And they know that cancer cells um, would kind of start to hoover up. They, they'll, they'll give it a, a kind of glucose chaser, it was, it's kind of called or referred to. Yeah. And cancer cells will, will use that glucose and light up on a kind of radioactive, you know, like on the, on the scan, basically, yeah, yeah. on a radioactive scan. They'll glow so they'll know that maybe cancer cells are present. They're doing the same thing for Alzheimer's with right. the brain. But they're looking more at kind of glucose, um, again, kind of glucose uptake in the brain because Alzheimer's, uh, one of the types that they've identified is kind of like type 3 diabetes where the brain can't use glucose. So something's going wrong with it. Wow. And kind of what they showed you was on an Alzheimer's brain versus a normal brain, a normal brain just lights up bright, all of it. But on an Alzheimer's brain, only certain parts are lighting up. So bits of it have been starved of glucose already. So it's going to obviously not function as it should do. That was just, just really, really interesting because I was like, it's all about kind of insulin health in here in my notes. It's all coming back to insulin health. And like when I was training at college, <laughs> you get bored because it was kind of like step one with a client, balance blood sugar levels, you know, and it, it got really boring after yeah. a while. I was like, oh gosh. And in my exams, that was always like, you had to review cases and it'd be like, what would be your first goal with this client? She's having cornflakes for breakfast, and crisps at midday, and orange juice at you know, very, you know, and you'd be like, oh, balance blood sugar levels. But it's it's looking so important for yeah. 
cancer prevention, Alzheimer's prevention. You know, it, it is really, really relevant. And then linking now kind of insulin and, and glucose metabolism to these diseases. And it does frustrate me when you kind of see that people going into um, care homes, elderly people, um, if you just look at the elderly generally, what, what's their nutrition like? Look at your, your nan, for example. Oh, crikey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what do you think she focuses, not focuses on, but like what is her kind of, like she's <clears throat> kind of given up cooking and... Yeah, I mean, well, you know, it's, it's a tough one, eh? Because my nan now, compared to my nan, say, 15 years ago, is a completely different person. Because, yeah. you know, when, how my nan ate, how, how, she, how she cooked or how often she cooked has changed drastically since my granddad passed away, which was about 12-ish years ago. You know, my nan used to cook virtually everything from scratch, meat to veg, you know, proper traditional hearty dinners you can imagine, you know, like shepherd's pie and vegetables and and things like that. Um, Whereas now it can't be convenient enough for her, you know, it's 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 microwavable dinners, it's, you know, it's 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 lots of of cakes and biscuits and and don't get me wrong. And things like that, she would never have eaten. No, well, no, but she would have done, but she would have made it from scratch. You know, she wouldn't necessarily have made her own pasta, but, you know, the meat and the sauce and and everything, whereas, you know, this is all now like microwavable. And, and, uh, you know, all the biscuits and the cakes my nan always used to eat, you know, it's it's a dumb thing, isn't it? You know, nan's house, tea and biscuits. But it was part of a healthier balance of food. Yeah, and, yeah. And also... And, and she was active. She was active, yeah, exactly. You know, car boots out, supermarket, shopping. Do you remember you know. her, the story she told us about growing up when she was raising your mum? Do you remember this story? Mm-hmm. She worked a night shift in the biscuit factory. Yeah. And she was telling us that basically in the day, she would dash around after... Um, after the kids kind of taking them everywhere to, to school to parks and everything and then at the night at night she said I walked to my night shift at the biscuit factory time tag team with your granddad with the kids and then I said to her I was like well that must have been a bit of a bonus <laughs> in the biscuit factory to get to take home the broken biscuits and and she was like no no we couldn't afford it and she said we, we we'd save and save and save all week to get a small bag of biscuits to take home yeah. and that was what your mum and, and, and her brother yeah. had as a treat or she said we'd save up to get a donut on uh, was it like Peckham High Street or something and I just thought that's incredible because compare that to the amount of sugar kids eat nowadays like they had to save up for one treat a week yeah Save their money, as in, and you know, well, it wasn't it wasn't as uh, available as it is now. You no, know, like I know, you, but you I, I didn't in, even realize it was that much. Well, though, no, she said, time. didn't she, that at the time biscuits were quite a luxury item still. A but, little yeah, bit, you know, expensive. it wasn't it wasn't now like you can walk into a supermarket and buy a blinking massive pack of rich teas for like forty nine p or yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, it's like it's, food, isn't yeah, it's, it's, it was very very different back then. But um, but yeah, you know, and but I've seen a decline in her since she. You know, we've said it, haven't we? Like, um, you You'd know, notice if, if we cook for for a week. Yeah, if we go there for a week, and if I, if we're staying with her, of course, we we cook her dinners, and then she hasn't leftovers for the next day's lunches and whatnot. And and you definitely see a, a change in her, both in the way she looks. She has a bit more of a healthy glow about her, but also her her mood. Yeah, you know, like uh, bless my nan, like she she's she's become a bit of a negative ninny (laughs) (laughs) over the years um that happened to my nan just before she passed away and um got darker and darker as she got older bless her but you know she you know it's yeah she's it must be hard i mean but but, in the way that you look at like some of what they're eating and i i i really am surprised because they don't have the kind of raw ingredients of of good neurotransmitters, mm. you know, like a lot of them drop out eggs, which is really important for cellular function, all the choline and stuff and mm. organ meats. They've all stopped eating all of that kind of food. They don't have enough B vitamins to produce all their kind of serotonin and, and like good mood, like yeah. neurotransmitters. And so you kind of, when you see what they're eating and it is kind of like crackers and cakes and stuff, um, you know, and my grandparents have gone the same way as they've got older. But Well, my, you know, my, I, you know I, I do nag my nan. It probably drives her nuts because I do try and get her to eat better and, just have more vegetables and whatnot, you know, considering, you know, in a way it was, you know, my nan was a big part of me enjoying foods such as vegetables, salads, liver, all the kind of things that traditionally most kids would avoid. I grew up and loved them because 
that was the kind of food I was fed as a kid, and you know, I've, I've never had any qualms scoffing down a bit of liver, yeah, and, and whatnot, and salad happy days, you know, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd absolutely scoff it. And so now, when I'm like, I'm like, man, what happened, yeah, you know, like, used to be your day used to be full of veg and salads and fruits and whatnot, and apparently, her coleslaw is her answer to everything, yeah. you know, because <laughs> it's got carrots in it yeah. and, and all of that, um, but. But yes, yeah, it's, 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 it's a real shame. It's a real shame. But I think that is when you kind of witness firsthand the impact that nutrition can have on someone in a very short space of time. Because like I say, like she just genuinely, after a few days of eating that kind of food and eating, a, I suppose, an abundance of nutrients as opposed to a diet that's lacking, skin looks a little bit healthier, her mood's better, her energy's a little bit better. And well, quite frankly, she's just a nicer person to <laughs> yeah, be around. Yeah. And it just... It has that negative, oh God, knock-on effect. effect. Yeah. Can't even talk. (laughs) But same as, uh, you know, speaking of like vitamins, I mean, I think uh, another thing as well, like the older people get and maybe become more sedentary and the less they go outside, which is the big thing for my nan right now, isn't it? You know, she she virtually does not leave the house. Yeah. um, Unless she really has to. By that, I mean like has a, has a hospital appointment or opticians or dentist whatever it may be yeah, that's and and even then you know it's uh i mean to not expose your skin at all to any kind of daylight is but that's that's not just um um elderly people i've got quite a lot of clients that i've oh, been no, trying to yeah. this week who've told me that they are about to go into well, we're obviously about to head into winter and uh they're already doing 12 13 hour days and i've kind of said a lot of them thankfully are getting vitamin d checked by doctors now mm-hmm. especially hormone issues it seems to be doctors have kind of cottoned onto that and especially if you have darker skin but a lot of them have mentioned well i'm going to be up at five and home at eight and i'm not going to see daylight at mm-hmm. all um, and you've, you're going to have to supplement to get around that that's it's kind of given but it's actually implicated in alzheimer's in terms of vitamin d uh, seeing vitamin d deficiency mm-hmm. as a risk factor yeah. Um, one thing I should add, actually, and I think we did say this on the last podcast, is the professor said there's kind of, I think there's 36 little holes. Um, think of like a leaking roof. There's like 36 holes to kind of plug with Alzheimer's. Um, not everyone has that, but that's kind of 36 areas of, of where the body is breaking down, like functions are breaking down. Uh, and you have to kind of go in and look at different blood tests and markers and, and kind of establish what isn't happening, where, where we've got leaking leaking leakage <laughs> what can we do about <laughs> bit it leakage. bit of leakage um but the the interesting thing so i just mentioned before was um so our brains and a lot of this has only just been established as a kind of technology to look at the brain and how it operates is 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 progressing the brain is quite it's referred to as being plastic so just real quick uh, obviously both obviously dr c, c <laughs> and the other guy he he's a doctor as well right he's a professor 30 years into his Alzheimer's research now. professor, right, yeah. okay. So what he did, by the way, so he was in the Times in the, in the UK because he's done trials in, um, in America and now he's doing trials here. Yeah. And the reason, even this is really fascinating, the reason he started to run his own trials is if you want to get like a drug or a supplement or a kind of a recommendation approved in the scientific literature, the gold standard is to do a randomised control trial uh, where you've got like... Um, you know, basically kind of you're changing one thing at a time so you take yeah. people in in a kind of as identical as you can kind of get them and and kind of randomize placebo versus getting a treatment and then basically see what the outcomes are and he said none of this works for alzheimer's because you've kind of got those 36 holes like we have to change loads of different things yeah. for different people and also we're going back to kind of personalized medicine here like if, say, you developed um, some sort of cognitive impairment, that's what they kind of get people to spot early, like run tests on yourself, run little tests online so you can start to go, I used to be able to do this, I can't do it anymore, mm. and notice that drop in, in kind of brain function. You, you're getting at something here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Am I showing signs already? You need to keep reading the Lion's Birthday Party over and over, make sure you get to the end. Hey, listen, it's a good and book. And tell me what happens. It's a great book. <laughs> But, but they're saying if you run these tests and notice um, um, a decline, I can't remember where I was going with this now. I've bloody forgotten. You, you shouldn't. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I, was I, say, I, I shouldn't be on episodes that, <laughs> that, that you know are about a serious subject. Let's <laughs> just go and sit on the balcony and drink coffee. No, but say we both develop memory issues, and to be fair, we do. Both of us have memory issues because we overwhelm ourselves running a business too Which much. Which I, I had an epic brain fart this morning, didn't I? And I couldn't remember someone's name. 
well, I couldn't remember two people's names. Oh, yeah, that was ridiculous. Who, who, who I actually know very, very well. And, and I said that. And even Curious is like, seriously? There's a term for it. I think it's called facial... I was just like, who's face... this person? There's I can't term, remember There is their a name. term for it. It's called something like facial amnesia. And it's when you literally be out with your mum and like you're your mum's neighbour and someone comes along and you go to introduce them and you have no idea what your mum's neighbour's name is. That has happened to me. But some of this is because we overwhelm our brains too much now with phones and laptops and, and work and stuff. Easily done with me. No meditation. My wee, my wee brain can only can only take so much. <laughs> that little pea starts bouncing around in the, in the skull. Especially pre-coffee. Yeah. It's pre-coffee then, yeah. We've got but, a job on our hands. If you look at our background... We have such different health backgrounds yeah. that, you know, you could be looking at, like, I've got good insulin health, you've got poor insulin health, I've got low vitamin D status, you've got great vitamin D status. So the treatment protocol for each of us would be different, and mm-hmm. that's why randomized controlled trials are not going to work, I don't think, for any of these chronic diseases soon, because you need the personalized medicine. Mm-hmm. And, the, and it, I'll show you how it all comes together. It's kind of just testing, but way more advanced than the testing a GP or even, you know, like a... A kind of um, any private health specialist is going to offer you at this point in time. And just as an aside, I've had a few clients this week who've got private health, and I did post about this in a membership group and said, like, our healthcare system is letting us down a bit because they've paid huge amounts of money to have hormones tested. And I've looked at it and I sometimes think, who am I? You know, I've only been doing this for, you know, God, three or four years doing the kind of functional medicine stuff. And even I'm like, I cannot believe they've not tested for this mm. or this. Or why have they not looked at vitamin D? Or why have they, you know, and I can, and I'm like, I'm not a Harley Street, you know, doctor who's kind of, it, it's just, it is crazy that no one's kind of joining the dots and looking at an integrated approach and, and people are paying a lot of money and not getting answers and being turned away with, just take this contraceptive pill, just take this testosterone mm. cream, just take this drug, you know. But anyway, uh, just back to, so with the brain, um, what is happening is, as I mentioned, we've got something called plasticity, which is kind of like your ability to, um, we know now that the brain can create new brain cells in old age, which we didn't think was possible. So our brain's always kind of regenerating and kind of ne- neurons, which are like the, the nerve cells in the brain, are always kind of <clears throat> basically developing and, and shaping and reshaping. And, and, and the brain's always trying to kind of have a spring clean is probably a really good idea, of, yeah. a, a way of explaining it. And um, so what we've noticed is this goes totally wrong with Alzheimer's. Um, and, and basically kind of the synaptic, he calls it synaptic maintenance and synaptic reorganization where you're kind of like breaking stuff down and all of it gets that little seesaw between the two gets kind of tipped um, basically away from kind of synaptic maintenance and kind of keeping, you know, keeping memories in place. So yeah. almost like you're, you're filing or, you know, like keeping everything nice and organized in the brain. And, they, and he kind of compared it to cancer osteoporosis and said it's really similar mechanisms basically some sort of feedback loop has gone wrong and the brain has just gone into overdrive of, of one process and um i was trying to think what it's like a comparison that <laughs> analogies are not my strong point you yes. know this but um i was I'm, thinking i'm, I'm nervous <laughs> yeah, i did come up what, with one and just, today no i did come up with one i've forgotten it <laughs> That, that's, just, that's the irony of it this is proper this is the, you've, you've forgotten a few things this podcast <laughs> it is rather ironic do you know what and it, I do um, I do know this is going to be a problem for me if I don't my problem is kind of just I don't do the meditation side of things and I need to like I just, I just don't switch off and that is kind of one aspect of it but anyway I'm going to skip along I will think of an analogy for, <laughs> for this in a second but I'm going to skip along to gene types so this is the part that fascinates me I've done so many um, courses now on nutrigenomics so looking at basically the the kind of what is the gene set that we've been given versus um kind of our health now and yeah. the first time me and you came across it was when we did dna fit and dna diet didn't we and we had yeah. um andrew from the company on the podcast and we talked about all of it and it was really fascinating but there was kind of a million questions that that i feel have come up since like looking at all the data and everything and I've gone off and done 23andMe, which is kind of a test that you can just order in Superdrug, um, and looked at your gene profile. And on this one, it's more looking at disease risk. Mm-hmm. So do you have the genes that are kind of associated with a high risk of Alzheimer's? Or oh, there's kind of various different diseases. And you have to say, or breast cancer, which is a bit more well-known, um, with the BRAC gene that's kind of associated with breast cancer and ovarian cancer. Do you have it? Yeah. And you have to sign a waiver to say that you want to know and you're prepared to accept responsibility. And right. um, people are debating, should we do this? Is, mm. is this dangerous? Is this stressful? But obviously, I did it. Uh, <clears throat> because I want to kind of know, would, did I benefit? Would clients benefit? Yeah. 
on my 23andMe, it said that I had the Alzheimer's gene. So I had a higher <laughs> risk of, not the Alzheimer's gene, sorry, but that I was a, a gene type that has a higher risk of Alzheimer's. Right. That's a more accurate way of phrasing it. So when he started to talk about this in the presentation, I was really interested. And this goes right back to, um, again, I think we mentioned this before when I did talk about genetic SNPs. What are we all on about? Yeah. Because even in the Times this weekend, there was an article about how many carbs you should be eating. Yeah. Yeah. And the way they were getting you to test it was to put a cracker on your tongue and see how long it took your saliva to break down the cracker. If we're going to say time, how long it takes you to... Not eat it. To not eat it. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. <laughs> see, what, see how long it takes the carb to tempt you. What we do is we put a sugary donut in front of you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and we time how long it takes them to eat it. <laughs> if you <laughs> resist for over five minutes, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> you're a high fat person. <laughs> yeah. If you eat it within the first 30 seconds, <laughs> you are proper fooked. <laughs> if you inhale it, proper fooktitis. <laughs> <laughs> oh god well it was basically looking at how many amylase enzymes you have in your saliva and that's the enzyme that breaks down starch mm -hmm. so again what these gene tests look for is like are you a gene type that's got uh that you produce high amounts of amylase suggesting you come from a kind of i don't know tr traditionally your diet would have been high in starch so right. this is more associated with they tend to say the closer you were to the equator or more kind of like african countries would have had a higher starch-based diet because meat's not as readily available right, okay. whereas europeans tend to be more meat and dairy yeah. in their descent so when i looked at my 23andme i was 98 percent european and two percent african so you would kind of think well, I'll do really well on meat and dairy then, won't I? That's kind of the, the very simplistic approach that people are trying to glean from this information. Um, when I mentioned to, to Tommy, <coughs> I said, I'm doing my 23andMe, he said, always remember genotype, phenotype. So if it came back that, say, the cracker dissolved really quickly on my tongue, and I was like, whoa, I'm so a high-carb diet person. Yeah. And then I went off um, and kind of made no distinction between the type of carbs. You know, maybe I went off and had cornflakes for breakfast. Yeah. Uh, or maybe, you know, maybe I did stick with good carbs and said I'm going to have, um, you know, sweet potato and salmon for my breakfast, which is what I would do. Uh, but I didn't sleep very well the night before. And then I stressed because I had a horrendous day at work and then yeah. I drank tons of coffee and I overtrained. I'm just ruining my insulin health anyway. Yeah. And if maybe I didn't do enough exercise, I don't have any muscle, which is an important part of insulin health. You know, my insulin sensitivity is going to get wrecked. So... It's not. It's just not as simple as these gene tests. But that's what your the people leading this want you to kind of believe. But there is useful information in there. I think, like all things, like there's always you, you kind of almost got to be able to take everything with a pinch of salt, haven't you? Because, like you say, there 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 is no absolutes. Like you do this uh, uh, rice cake thing, and you're like, oh yeah, I'm I'm a high carb person. But then you mention all the variables that you just have. Yeah. Then. Like you say, it's not that simple. No. And People do want to kind of just tell me what to eat. Yeah, Cards they, they or do. Fat. <laughs> I, I think like the biggest thing, like and we, we speak about this a hell of a lot, is becoming more intuitive and being able to, I suppose, maybe understand situations a little bit better Yeah. and being able to adapt accordingly. Like, uh, you know, like uh, i give you a prime example. You know, if I've had a bad night's sleep for whatever reason, and I mean quite a quite bad night's sleep like I did last week because they were doing like night road works outside the flat and it was absolutely crazy but you had to have the windows open because it was boiling so yeah. you couldn't really win have them closed sweat like mad have them open the noise keeps you awake anywho what I was finding was in the morning I was actually waking up and I could tell almost tell my cortisol levels were higher than normal not because anything in particular had stressed me just I think the fact that I would had a really really bad night's sleep so my body's kind of like natural cortisol levels in the morning were just higher than normal because of that yeah and I was finding that instead of doing what I would normally do which would be if I was walking the dog I'd just have a coffee maybe and walk the dog or if I was going gym same thing coffee go gym and then I'd eat when I get back I was finding I said to you didn't I that it was like almost now I'm at a point where I'm like no no like my body needs a bit of food yeah you know, it needs some <clears> carbs it needs some protein to kind of try and combat this elevated stress levels yeah. that I've got and it would first work. thing in the morning so carbs coming in would actually lower your stress hormones exactly. and, 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 and for me like, that's quite a, a powerful step for me you yeah. know, in terms of just me being a bit more intuitive with my body and understanding that I've, I've had hardly any sleep I feel quite stressed already yeah. 
let's not make that worse by just drinking untold coffee and going without food and elevating my cortisol even more yeah and maybe even not going to the gym despite me thinking it might help me feel better instead i'll just have some food maybe some porridge with some protein in and, and that would sort me out and then i'd go off a little bit later walk the dog go gym whatever yeah i mean that's a really valid point because one thing that one of the slides at the event said kind of with empowerment of knowledge comes freedom from fear and i loved that quote because mm. there is this argument with 23 and me do you want to know that you've got like the gene set for these diseases do you want to spend your life stressing about and there's this big debate about the breast cancer gene and actually you know his take on it uh, professor Bresden was like yes because we can do so much about it because mm. there's preventative medicine and i i agree with that obviously i kind of take it on a client by client basis in terms of what i'd recommend for them to know this information some people are already too stressed but for you the knowledge of understanding what to do when you've not had sleep and recognizing high cortisol and knowing that actually some carbohydrates might help bring cortisol levels back you know that those are useful bits of information that, that you then take control of situations out of your control yeah. and so I, I do think it's really Watch. interesting but let, let me go through the apoe thing because this is gonna this is i thought this is really interesting but um it's gonna help put a lot of people's if you're kind of looking at gene testing it'll kind of help explain it a bit better it did for me anyway because what's been identified is you can have right, there's something called the apoe gene and this mm-hmm. is the one that everyone's talking about which determines whether you do better on kind of high fat diet high saturated fat diet or whether doesn't really matter right because there's different gene types we've got apoe4 um apoe3 and apoe2 and you can be an apoe3 4 you can be kind of a bit of both mm-hmm. yeah so depending on what your parents were yeah so what has been noticed is that the apoe4 gene i'm going to explain how it came about so um we went from being simians to hominids so we were up in the trees first and then when we came down um, to be hominids on Earth, uh, we, started, <laughs> we started walking around. I, th- I think we've been through this before in the podcast, but we started walking around on Earth, yeah? Mm-hmm. And this basically was a pro-inflammatory environment for us because we'd been up in the trees, mainly in a plant-based diet. We came down from the trees. This is evolution. And we started eating meat and we started uh, being chased by animals, <laughs> wild animals. Oh, no, oh. Where, what part did Adam and Eve come in? <laughs> it's funny because he did say, he was like, first there was God. Was it Adam and Eve in the tree? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, K-A-S-S-I-N-G. <laughs> I actually know they were, they, were, they, were, they were brother and sister, weren't they? Yeah, they were. Anyway, but, they did, but they did. Anyway, so when we first became, so we're, let's talk about the first hominids, first humans. And what we're doing is we start, we start eating meat and we start to be hunted by wild animals. We start hunting wild animals and eating um, animals that... Basically, we start to get food poisoning and things like that because we've gone from mainly kind of a plant yeah. and bug-based diet. Uh, obviously, just walking around, we're stepping in poo. We're cutting our feet on, on, on kind of stones and twigs. So our bodies developed when we're the APOE gene type, APOE4, so this is the first gene type of, of mankind, a really pro-inflammatory response because inflammation is your immune system ready to protect you. And the great analogy he gave, or example he gave, sorry, was like, it's kind of like your North Korea, your body's North Korea, kind of ready all the time for an attack. Um, wow. Whereas after a while, um, then what we start doing, so this was, I've got the little timeline here, that was 7 million years ago, yeah? Wow. And then that kind of went on for um, another 6 million years. So APOE4 types were the kind of dominant gene type of mankind. And then we mutate into, um, and this was 220,000 years ago, APOE3 and this is because we've started cooking food we've started to develop tools so we're hunting animals we're protecting ourselves and because we cook the food we're not exposed to the microbes anymore so we don't need that kind of quick pro-inflammatory response I bet they had really rough guts APOE4s initially like can you imagine like because it was eating raw meat and it infected meat all the time so there just must have been like as if you'd had a kebab like every single weekend (laughs) yeah Um, anyway so then we changed to APOE3 and then as again this kind of develops to I think it was 80,000 years further on there's even less danger we get the APOE2 and that's kind of the the kind of latest mutation of, of mankind. And the APOE2s is kind of the one that you want because it seems to have the lowest risk of disease because it's got the lower kind of um, less inflammatory, like less proactive inf- inf- immune system. Yeah. That's probably the best way of explaining it. So when I was first talking about this, I did my first Genovations course before I started to go and get the test done. I was with Emma Myhill and she said, you're definitely 
ApoE22, so like a full, we call it homozygous, so I just be ApoE22. Yeah. Because my mum and dad are um, quite slim individuals and, yeah. and look healthy, and, and I do the same. Turns out I'm a 3-4, so I'm kind of in the middle. So I've got ApoE4, and yeah. I've got 3 as well. So the fact that I have ApoE4, I'm heterozygous for it, so I've got half 3, half 4. So it could be my mum and dad were both 3 and 4, yeah. or mum's 4-4. Four, four, that's three three. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah, kind of. You yeah. with me? <laughs> it's like a little Just bit about <laughs> yeah. clinging on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you were ApoE four four, yeah. I'd have opened twenty three and me and I'd seen ApoE four four, which meant both my parents were ApoE fours. Uh-huh. So we're all really pro inflammatory, we're all North Korea. Um, my risk of getting Alzheimer's would have been ninety percent. What? Yeah, high. Whereas because I'm three four, it's actually twenty five percent greater than you if you're not an ApoE four. What's been noticed, and this is what I asked Dr. C about, I asked a question, I got to talk to him. Oh, um, he said I was starstruck. I was starstruck. I asked him what he was doing Saturday night, but he's taken for. I'm joking. Um, <laughs> this is the first I've heard of it. Um, I, where was I? So I said, ApoE4s, if you put ApoE4s on a high saturated fat diet, their cholesterol goes through the roof. And I've seen this before. I've seen it with my own parents. I've seen it with a couple of clients. So a lot of clients that have gone on to kind of high-fat diets and started chugging back coconut oil because they're reading that it's really good for them. Gone on high-fat dairy because high-fat dairy is better than low-fat dairy. But then then I get these phone calls going, my doctor is furious with you. Like, my cholesterol is through the roof. Now, we don't know. Total cholesterol, LDL and HDL tell us nothing. And everyone said that at the conference. Tells you nothing. But why do APOE4s go so high really quickly and is it to do with their kind of inflammation mm. their pro-inflammatory response um the, the the figure that you really want to know is more kind of inflammation markers and also kind of the size and particle number of your you know ldl your bad cholesterol which is a private test but in the meantime almost everyone is saying the kind of pull back with caution and what the press professor was saying is maybe do like a two-week ketogenic intervention for, for people with um, severe cognitive impairment and then pull back to more of a Mediterranean style diet where you're more oily fish, nuts, seeds, avocados. So you're yeah. still fat, but you're not the sat- it's the saturated fats that seem to affect APOE4s. They're just really interesting. Since then, I have reduced saturated fats a little bit. I'm not going to drop them out. They're an integral part of cellular function yeah. and cellular communication. I did think of a way of explaining this to you actually. So with saturated fats, because they form the kind of, um, they're part of the cell membrane as are omega-3s, mm-hmm. um, one uh, lecture that I was at was saying that if you get someone who's had really poor nutrition and lifestyle choices, the first thing she does is repair the cell membrane so that nutrients can pass in and out and they can get a, restore a lot of functions right. in the body with, she was saying, saturated fats and choline from things like eggs. <clears throat> and I was trying to think of a way of explaining that to you and I thought, it's a bit like, how about this? Imagine in your house... And your driveway, uh, where you would drive your car up, is absolutely knackered. So it's all paving stones, but they've all broken up and they're all kind of sticking up and stuff. Like, what would you end up doing if your driveway was just a nightmare to drive up? Well, probably just park on the street and walk up. Exactly. There you go. So that's what people who've, like, broken their kind of cellular health a little bit. Yeah. Nutrients don't go in anymore. They just, they just kind well, of I'd float around. Well, i still and... go in because I need to get into my house. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it, you're ruining it now. <laughs> You wouldn't put you wouldn't park the I car. Just, I just wouldn't go in my house. Yeah. I, would, I would never go into my house. That's what happens. And then you come oh, in and you, you pay. So well if well. you pave the driveway with some choline and saturated fats, some fish oil, <laughs> so, yeah, just sprinkle a bit of things can get back in and out again. All right. So anyway, so yeah. that that was the Any builders listening. That's what you need to do for a dodgy, <laughs> dodgy driveway. <laughs> Bit of saturated fat. Bit of saturated fat and some egg yolks and some liver. <laughs> that's fine. But it is a big, it's an area that's really hotly debated and everyone is going on about it because ketogenic diets seem to be amazing for cancer. But when cancer is looking more like a kind of metabolic disease, yeah. very similar to type 2 diabetes, we aren't listening to insulin anymore. We're not using glucose properly. Something, you know, cells are being starved. So would a ketogenic intervention where we go really high fat really low carb and basically use ketones for energy start to kickstart metabolism again and actually would it reverse alzheimer's will it start to reverse the processes that are happening with cancer and um, same for diabetes and they definitely have a role 
what they're trying to work out is kind of how to go about it if it's like an APOE4 person because their cholesterol might go really high. They call fat buckets <laughs> in this uh, in this lecture, which I thought was a bit mean. I'm a half fat bucket. It's not charming. But there is kind of um, something about APOE4s again being very prone to obesity and diabetes as well. So, but again, that can, this is all a lifestyle <coughs> stuff. So let's let's just assume right because I think. What do you reckon you are? I don't, I think I'd be a unfounded. I think you might be a four, you know, because they'd be like, we have not come across this specimen of human being before. <laughs> APOE one. Call, call, call the government. <laughs> Superhero. <laughs> APOE one. It's like, like the, 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 the real Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> he has mutated. With a tight rash on his foot. <laughs> even, even superheroes get fungal rashes. It's the last bit of inflammation. But... Um, no, but what I was going to say was... I think you're a four, by the way. Dear. Yeah, because your granddad died of diabetes. Well, he didn't necessarily die of Sorry, diabetes. he died of heart attack, diabetes. Your dad died of cancer. And this is a very sad thing to go mm. through. But I do think that you've got kind of... But then again, their health, their lifestyles weren't great. They smoked, didn't they? Yeah, big smokers. Yeah. Granddad liked to pipe. Yeah, and your mum smoked, so... Um, but, but what I was going to say was, is, you know, with all of these and the tests that are out there, and as you said, the big question, do people really want to know? And like we've always said, it, you know, it depends on the individual. Like if we're working with someone who's a bit of a, a worrier anyway, a bit of a stress head, um, you know, maybe suffers from anxiety, do we want to plant a seed that they're potentially prone to Alzheimer's or anything like that? Maybe not, because it could potentially cause more stress and we know how destructive elevated cortisol can be. So I think, you know, it comes down to the individual. Same same with, like, when we talk about clients and, and weighing themselves as yeah, part yeah. of monitoring progress because I don't see there being a problem with weighing yourself. <laughs> Can I do a disclaimer on the scales? Do you really want to know? Are you sure? Yeah. Are you really ready <laughs> Are you ready? No, but no, I, mean, no, no, I think you, you need to say no, but if to someone's s- not motivated to change, this could motivate no, them. No, I'm totally with you. What I'm trying to say is, is, like, you know, we, we say to people with the weight, using the weighing scales as an example, if you've got a healthy relationship with the weighing scales and if it tells you you've lost weight, if it tells you you've put on weight, you're not just going to kind of like completely lose it and let it ruin the rest of your day if it hasn't said what you wanted it to say and it sends you into this negative spiral of comfort eating and blah, 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 whatever it might be um, and guilt, etc., etc. And I think that <clears throat> it's, you know, we're, we're discovering so much both you know, from like a nutritional standpoint, you know, like gene testing, everything else, it kind of makes sense to take advantage of, of that for sure. But do you know the one, the one the, the, this is, sorry to interrupt you, the really interesting there's a point question is, in this. I know, but the really interesting point is the people doing the gene testing mm. don't need to. Mm. <laughs> That's the problem. And the people that do need to do the gene testing, Aren't maybe interested. for the motivation and maybe because it will help them kind of get results quicker and they need to get them quicker because they're more dangerously overweight or pre-diabetic aren't interested and the people that are asking me about oh should I do DNA fit DNA diet should I do 23andMe I just think I didn't need to do it I absolutely didn't yeah, need you, to do you, it you, you done it for different reasons because you, you want to understand it oh completely I want to yeah. see if I benefited from it and to be honest even with the kind of saturated fat thing I've decreased mine slightly but actually I decreased them anyway because I always said to you I Much never to feel disappointment. I never feel as can great we, can we have chicken again <laughs> no <laughs> no, I always said to you, I always felt better. I'd done all the kind of, I experimented with ketogenic and did not feel great on it. I went kind of down a, down a very high saturated fat model initially, especially after discovering benefits of them, and just didn't feel as good as when I ate more fish, more avocado, more nuts. Mm. So it's not that I'm fat, low fat in any way, I'm just more Mediterranean fats. And I yeah. always felt better that way. I'd always, I came to that very naturally through my 20s when I was like, God, I always feel better when I eat a lot more oily fish. My skin's better, my mm. um, everything, you know, joints feel better. So I'd come to that naturally. I didn't need to do this. Yeah. And I always think too much of anything is a bad thing. And when I was like, when my mom and dad told me they were chugging down coconut oil because of, they'd read about yeah. it for Alzheimer's and then they went and got their blood cholesterol checked and it was sky high um but the thing is with your dad like for example you know like and your mum really but i'm using your dad as an example just because uh you know he's he's an incredibly active person you know yeah. he's in his 60s now and he kind of adopted the you know let's say paleo way of eating but the the kind of more you know the myth that paleo is low carb if you like and he did take that on didn't he and he was very high fat 
much more lower carb yeah and the weight literally fell off didn't it yeah, which yeah. at first was great because you'd had a little bit of a little bit of a tub he said oh, yeah he you know said, not, not, you know he, he wasn't want to lose me gut he wasn't you know he wasn't <laughs> huge by any means but you know he he, he could have done with losing a little bit of body fat and he did but then he kind of went past that to the point it was like he, he looked he genuinely looked skinny this, just, didn't this he? happens he with a lot of men where they kind of go onto a paleo style of nutrition and like you said go high fat and low carb and do lose their body fat but then if they continue training and and most of them do and continue with their kind of my dad loves landscaping his garden, he cycles, and he does kettlebells, and he does something every single day. He feels it's very important. And most of which is in, when they're in their place in Portugal. So the sun's blazing down, he's sweating like crazy. Yeah, but what I was going to say was, and, and with him, and actually both my brothers, very similarly, when they kind of went on to paleo, drop weight like hmm. really, really quickly. And with all of them, I was like, bring the carbs back in, yeah. bring it up, bring it to, you know, you can have carbs at every meal, you have no problem with hmm. insulin health, like, you know, so... Um, but again, it's just it was just an interesting experience for me because I was kind of going back and forth with the saturated fats and APOE4. Um, if you're concerned, then just kind of, I still eat saturated fats, but I'm just cooking more with olive oil and I'm just kind of, as I've mentioned, favouring oily fish, mm-hmm. a little bit less meat. I'm still eating meat. Your lamb burgers that you made the other week, Moroccan lamb burgers with apricot. Oh, lovely. Um, so I'm not, again, it's just, just not too much of anything and... There is a load of information on testing. Do you think we do that in the next podcast or yeah, should I go into Yeah, because I still haven't asked my question. Oh, what was your question? You, you remind me of something else, so I will get to my question. What I was going to say was, based on your comment of the people that don't need the testing want to get tested and the people yeah. that do don't want to. And I think a big point I kind of want to make here is, is that I, I think being optimistic in life is an amazing quality to have. But I think there's a big, big difference between being optimistic and being ignorant. And I think something that I have learned a lot, you know, through the people we work with, friends, family, etc., is that, you know, we, we can't keep shrugging things off. And, you know, when, when we talk to people, especially family members, about, you know, changing their nutrition a little bit, becoming a little bit more active, you know, it's not like we're telling them to go and kick their ass in the gym every day or to massively reduce their their food intake you know sometimes it's just subtle changes and you often get the you know oh you know life's too short for this life's too short for that you know you kind of it's not about restricting yourself it life's for living etc etc and yeah it is but then those people soon change their tune when things go peak tom and we've seen it time and time again and of course these are your friends these are your family you love them you care about them you don't want to be the person that kind of goes you know, well, you know, we kind of did say because, you know, uh, you know, I know you don't want to go through life kind of always worrying about, you know, the food you're eating and this that, and the other. But I think people show such ignorance towards their health. And I was one of them. You know, I was that guy who just because I was lean thought I was the healthiest guy in the world. And I wasn't, you know, far, far from it. And I've spoken about it so many times on blogs and previous podcasts. And I think that, you know, what's nice to see now is that because, there is that generation of people that just rely on pharmaceuticals. You know, the doctor is God. Anything the doctor says, I will do. He wants me to take that tablet, I'll take it. You know, or he or she, you know, they, I should say, shouldn't I? My my, my point is, like, it's just so important that we do open our eyes a little bit more to the power of nutrition, the power of a bit more movement in in our schedule, the power of just getting outside and exposing our skin a little bit, be it a sunny day or not. You know, and just these kind of like small things that, you know, and kind of like almost getting it out of people's head that, you know, it doesn't have to be drastic in order to be healthier. Doesn't, you know, and I don't care if you're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. Like we have worked with people, haven't we? Like in their 70s, you know, Parkinson disease sufferers that have improved their symptoms through making changes now. Yeah. So don't tell me it's too late because it's not. A big big thing... Um, what we'll do is I think <laughs> I've got a question <laughs> Jesus I, no, 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 that, that was because you, you I, I think it's important to put that out there because I think people need to start you know what was the question he joined the question Jesus Christ that's the question no so no that was a, I said I had a question come in so the question was <laughs> I've never known anyone waffle charming isn't it charming guys do you hear that no but when do you, you say that? you've got a question you ask a question that was a valid point right there like five minutes of talking and then you no, no. Go and I said, I have got a question. Ask the um, question. 
So, question is, yeah. if someone doesn't want to test, they're not yeah. interested, they don't want to test, take on, let's say they've started eating a certain way, let's use lower carb, higher fat as an example. Yeah. If someone is someone who does not tolerate the high fat so well, APO4, yeah. could you tell that Keris is actually miming that to me then, just to <laughs> remind me? <laughs> um, what kind of things should they look out for as a bit of a surefire sign that that's not for them? You know, without actually doing a test to say your body probably won't respond well to this, what kind of things would someone look out for to uh, think, actually, do you know what, I don't think this is working for me? Well, so you mean they go on a high saturated fat diet? Yeah, so they, they increase fats, they reduce carbohydrates. Often, often people who, they, there was talk of people going, <clears throat> so just to, God, this, this podcast could just go on and on, and on, but a ketogenic diet is basically kind of very like at the first phase of Atkins where he used to say you could have 10 grams of carbs, which was basically just greens, nothing mm. more. You can get a lot of carbs from veg. Yeah. People don't realise that. So to go into ketosis where the body can't is scrambling around, can't find any glucose and switches um, kind of its metabolic preferred uh, route down kind of using ketones fat into, into your cell, into the mitochondria, which is like the energy powerhouse, and that's then how it generates ATP, which is your energy currency. So uh, Atkins was like, go down to 10 grams, but mm. then since then people have moved it up to about 50 because it was noted that you could still get into ketosis especially if you flood the system with coconut oil or MCT, which is medium-chain triglyceride oil, you could force ketosis. Yeah. So you could do it. And fasting actually causes, it gets the body into ketosis as well. So through something like intermittent fasting and coconut oil, we could get 50 grams of carbs in, and carbs are food for the gut flora. So we don't want to go too low um, and certainly not stay too low long-term. And so because your body is not working very well on glucose metabolism, we flip it into ketogenic mode, and it works. But... Some people feel, I mean, there's going to be a struggle as you switch, but I've tried with some clients where I thought because of their medications and various other things, they might benefit from it, and they felt horrendous. And one person was like, I just wanted to kill someone. And uh, so so I think there's kind of like a, a just a subjective element to it where um, you can use ketone sticks. So you measure ketones in your Wii. And you just buy this on Amazon and see if you're in ketosis. And some people struggle more than others. And some people did feel like they gained weight. And, and just but the blood marker side of it for me was just a kind of like, mm -mm. It can no, but go I mean, so high, like yeah, yeah, 12, yeah. No, but my, my kind of point here is, though, without any form of testing I, or any... What, what, what's kind of like a genuine... You I know, like, go... Like, for example, you know, like, we, we work with clients who, you know, there they're are kind of surefire signs when someone's probably going a bit too high carb for them, you know, or a bit too low carb for them, and they're kind of... The, the, based on the demands they place on themselves on a daily basis. So I'm just talking about, you know, when some people... Maybe I've asked the question wrong, I don't know. I wouldn't go keto to ketogenic unless you knew why you were doing it and probably under the direction of someone exactly. who understood why you should do it and what the outcomes should be and the benefits should be. It's become really fashionable because of people in the paleo world who <clears throat> and the primal world who talk about doing ketogenic diets for endurance performance. I do think there's a benefit there because you're smashing yeah. your body with endurance um, sports so actually going for something that, that kind of flips and protects glucose metabolism a little bit better um, well not, not doesn't rely on glucose metabolism otherwise your blood sugar levels are all over the place from endurance stuff and you wreck your gut so I wouldn't go ketogenic without someone uh, professionally guiding you that way um, but we'd all benefit from single first thing I do with anybody who is worried about memory function cancer heart disease drop out Refined carbohydrates, gone, gone. Yeah. You know, like switch to root vegetables, and you'll instantly experience a benefit from that. And that is across the board. That's not rice cakes and and kind of healthier versions of either oat cakes or anything. I would just all processed carbs go back to nature, yeah, um, and get that's where you get your carbs from because you've got loads of fiber. Um, what I was going to say was we could do in the next episode. Why don't we go through functional testing and kind of how that helps you understand. All of this. Like how to interpret things. Yeah, like what up. you could go yeah. and do what if you wanted to go to your doctor, <clears throat> to a lab or anything. And how, because this is looking at the drivers of disease, basically. Not yeah. just Alzheimer's, all of them. And there's some incredible stuff that came out of that. So, should we do that? Well, that's the next episode sorted then. Yeah. Well, good episode, Keris. There's still so much more. So, so much, much more. So much yeah, to we'll talk about. We'll but continue in the next we've one. We've hit the hour. We've yeah. hit the hour. Well, we'll wrap it up there. We could. We can... 
we can continue this in the many, many episodes to come yeah. of Fit Food Radio. Yeah. I actually think the things I'm going to cover in Episode the next... Episode 2,762. <laughs> what, what are we on again? <laughs> um, I actually think the stuff I'm going to cover in the next episode will be how we address disease in the future, all disease. Because the subtypes of Alzheimer's could be applied to any disease, as in the, the causes. Yeah. Well, yeah. So... Cool. There you go. I look forward to that. It sounds like it's going to be incredibly positive and uplifting. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for listening. As always, um, please, please, please get in touch with any questions whatsoever because it's a great way to give us some ideas of what we can cover on the episodes and we are here to serve you we are here to help you guys as much as we possibly can live happy healthy and amazing lives and thrive as much as possible so keep them coming in guys equally don't be shy leave us a review on itunes and that you know be be nice only only good reviews only joking honest reviews guys that's what we're after and of course do share away with anyone that you feel this might be of benefit to guys have an awesome day wherever you are in the world and we will see you in episode number 77 i guess bye bye see ya